0: Blame and fear have always been the result of superstition. For example, in Salem, Massachusetts, marital affairs and wrongdoings of any kind could lead to hanging or burning. Those who walk upon deep trails in forgotten forests, caves, or caverns can be driven insane by the quiet, or dark, forcing them to see or hear things they otherwise wouldn't believe in their rational state. Windigos and werewolves, Puckwudgies and elves, gods and goddesses, these were all born from a place of fear and curiosity. But what happens when that fear is inflicted as pain upon others? It turns out that the settlers of a small Rhode Island Providence just could give you the answer. I'm Gentry Odinger, and this is The Tragedy of Mercy Brown. In 1892, the early settlements of America were a harsh place to live. In fact, the leading cause of death for immigrants was tuberculosis, also known as consumption, for the way it would cause the body to slowly stop functioning until it withered into death. Common symptoms were growing fatigue, night sweating, fever, weight loss, and coughing up foam or blood from the intestines. Of course, in the 19th century, there was no cure for such an illness, leading it to become one of the most widely known, widely spread, and widely feared diseases across the eastern coast. What little treatment that could be tried was hardly applicable, as those who contracted the disease had 80% chance of death. Perhaps it is this horror and fear of such a disease that drove the civilians of Exeter, Rhode Island to commit the unimaginable. The Brown family was one of hundreds plagued with consumption. Quickly, Mary Eliza Brown and her eldest daughter, Mary Olive Brown, caught the illness and died soon after. After the short loss of luck, the remaining family members seemed to be in perfect health. That is, until the late Mary's son, Edwin, contracted the disease in 1891. Many doctors and medical professionals advised him to exercise and enjoy fresh air but that would do nothing for the unrelenting infection slowly taking control of his body. In high hopes that the doctors would be right, Edwin moved to Colorado Springs for a change of pace and renewal of air. It was in vain, though, because he returned to Exeter in 1892 in even worse condition than he had been before he began his travel. And within the same year, his sister, Mercy Lena Brown was taken by the illness and died shortly after. Now, like I said, maybe it was the fear and panic that turned into hysteria and swept the nation, but the Browns couldn't understand how so many of their loved ones were dying so fast. And with Edwin on the brink of death, with one foot in the grave, the family turned to the most reliable source they had at their disposal, superstition vampires. It would make sense that with Edwin dying so incredulously slow that someone beyond the grave was using his life force to keep themselves alive after death. Back then, instead of blood, vampires were rumored to feed on one's life, stealing it for their return from the dead. But who would be so cruel? Well, the family concluded, mercy just might be a worthy candidate. Word spread quicker than wildfire in the small town, and one March morning in 1892, a doctor, with the assistance of a few locals, are recorded to have exhumed the bodies of each family member that had died of the disease. Having been a a few complete years, Mary Brown and her daughter Mary Olive had little but skeletons within their graves. According to legend, they could not be the vampires because their bodies were decaying naturally enough to warrant permanent death. Mercy's body, however, was another story. The nine-week-old remains of Mercy Brown were odd, to say the least. The team found her startlingly filled with life, normal and undecayed. Additional searches revealed fresh blood in the heart and liver, which could only point to one thing, Mercy Brown was stealing her brother Edwin's life from even after death. Even as the doctors tried to explain that having the body near pristine condition was not unusual or unlikely of a late 19th century midwinter burial, the townspeople would not hear it. Driven mad by fear and dejection, they demanded no rest until the guilty party was stopped. What did they do next? The answer might just chill you to the bone. The heart and liver of Mercy Brown were cut from her body and burned to ashes on a cold stone slab. Slowly they burned, withering into ashes just as her body had done only months before. The ashes were mixed with water to form a kind of tonic, a potion said to heal the afflicted. Forcing Edwin to drink the remains of his sister, he accepted, hoping it would put an end to the painful consumption of his body and mind. It was in vain because he died only two months later of the same disease they tried to cure. what then happened to the memory of mercy brown perhaps one of the strangest and most gruesome cases of vampirism new englanders continued to practice the act of exhuming and burning bodies in a futile attempt to heal what couldn't be prevented vampires didn't always sparkle sometimes they were cruel scapegoats of human identity we couldn't outrun Blame has always been in our DNA, forcing others to take the blame we ourselves would never warrant. In the end, there was only ever one kind of monster in Exeter, Rhode Island, and it wasn't Mercy Brown. The atrocities committed in that community were a direct result of what fear and polarization could do to a community, if given the right circumstances. Those who said nothing ended up being just as bad as those who committed the unthinkable crimes, aiding and abetting the mutilation of Mercy's body even after death. It is not dissimilar to the greatest tragedies in history genocide in Jonestown, the persecution of the Jews and other minorities in World War II, the slave trade of Africa and Europe, the Cambodian genocide, the Salem witch trials, and the plethora of others. Silence only raises the voice of the oppressor. And I believe this is a fact we would do well to remember in the current political climate. Remember, history is repeated by those who do not learn from it. This podcast was created with Anchor and bears no affiliation to Aaron Mankey's podcasting series, Lore. Though if you want a good listen, I highly recommend giving it a visit. Information gathered from all that's interesting and the vintage news outlets. Special thanks to Trinity Goad for inspiration and lots of moral support.